Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our worship for Sunday, the 31st of October. Let us take a moment just to be still and to come in to God's presence. Our Father God, we unite ourselves with all who worship today, both in churches and people's homes. Nothing can separate us from your love. And we rejoice that we can celebrate together, giving thanks for all of your mercies. Lord, bless our worship today, wherever we might be, and may we be strengthened and uplifted. Lord, we thank you for the joy that we have in our homes, for the friendship of our colleagues at work. Thank you for the delight that we have in nature, in your creation all around us. Thank you for the refreshment that we find in our fellowship together, in singing your praise, in feeling the touch of your spirit upon our lives, in hearing your word to us. Lord, you are holy and righteous and merciful. Cleanse our minds and free our consciences from the things that divide and distance us from you. Lord, we have shut our eyes to your glory, our minds to your truth, and our hearts to your spirit. And yet we want to love you, Lord, to offer to you our true worship and our joyful service. Lord, forgive us and deliver us from all of our sins. And as all your paths are loving and sure, guide us in the way that we should go. Fill us anew and afresh with your Holy Spirit, giving us that rich mixture of peace and restlessness, calm and enthusiasm the hallmarks of holiness. Lord, come and make your home amongst us. In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. And today we're reading verses 17 through to chapter 4, verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. 
Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. Trevor Morrow, in his little book, Equal to Rule, writes about his granny Barnes, who was a cook in a big house in County Tyrone. He remembers her a bit like Mrs Bridges in the old TV series Upstairs, Downstairs. Whenever he went to visit her on Sunday afternoons, she would make soda farls on the griddle and serve them with lashings of butter. And she would talk about her life downstairs. For Granny, everyone and everything had their place. There was a pecking order, and this was especially true about gender roles. A young man couldn't be seen carrying in the washing because that was woman's work. It wasn't right. People might see, and then what would they think? A man wheeling a pram was somewhat emasculating, as was doing the laundry. And that very much reflected the way that the world viewed things at that time. It was a matter of what was decent and respectable and familiar. Similarly, if you watch Downton Abbey, you get a very good idea of how 100 years ago the class system used to operate. With its standards of decency and respectability, everyone and everything in their proper place. My guess is that some of the appeal of Downton Abbey is that it's a world so, so different from our world today, even though it's not that long ago. But that's how it was, and nobody questioned it. Now, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians. Last week, we were looking at the Christian life and the kind of virtues Paul was urging these Christians to put on, like a set of clothes, compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, patience forgiveness and love, dressing in the kind of clothes that were appropriate for a new kind of life lived in Christ. And today we continue on to the the passage that we just read and we're transported into another world. Not the world of Downton Abbey 100 years ago, but but to the Greco-Roman world of 2,000 years ago, into which Paul speaks about how being in Christ might be lived out in the kind of households that existed in his day. Now, it has to be acknowledged that the social conditions assumed by Paul in this letter are not exactly the same social conditions most of us face today. That's obvious. The passage talks about slaves and masters, for example. Uh, it talks about wives submitting to your husband. That maybe doesn't resonate too well today either. But that doesn't mean that these words are of no use or of no relevance to us in our world at our time. Paul is talking about how our new life in Christ has a transforming effect, not just upon how we do church for an hour on Sunday, but upon every part of our lives, our lives Monday to Saturday as well as Sunday. We began with with verse 17 that says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we might add to that, whatever it is you do or say, Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday too, wherever you are, whoever you're with, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember at the start of this letter was this wonderful description of the supremacy of Christ? That he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by him and for him. In him all things hold together. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Paul then reminded us how how baptism speaks of our being buried with Christ, our life hidden with Christ, and raised with him to new life with our hearts set on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And from those heights, we're now seeing how Paul lands his letter in the everyday lives and experience of these Christians in Colossae. He wants to make it equally clear that our feet ought to be planted on earthly places with real people, in real relationships, in the humdrum of everyday life, in the work, in in the home and at work. That's the, the overall thrust of this passage, even if the social conditions were different from what we know today. Paul is giving these Christians some advice on how living out their new life in Christ might look in the context of their day, in the big house, if you like, with all of those different relationships. And the challenge is for us to work out what it might look like for us to do that in our day and in our homes and our workplaces. 24-7, recognising Jesus not just as Lord of an hour on Sunday mornings, but the Lord Jesus who is at work in us on every level, transforming our relationships, transforming our homes, transforming our workplaces and our world. He is the Lord. He is Lord of all of that. Let's take a moment just to think of the kind of world that Paul and his Christian sisters and brothers in Colossae were were living in. It was, in fact, a world in which a lot of what Paul was saying was very countercultural, even radical. His call for wives to submit to their husbands wouldn't have raised too many eyebrows, but what certainly would was what he says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Strange as it as it may be to us, that would have sounded out of kilter with society and culture at that time. Children are also mentioned. Children obey your parents. No surprises there. But what is surprising in countercultural is that Paul gives advice to fathers. Fathers whose authority and word in the home was beyond question or criticism. Fathers, he says, do not embitter or exasperate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves too are treated as as full members of the community and and the fact that they're addressed here at all in the cultural context of the first century Colossae is significant. We discover that they too share in the common responsibility of the community of faith and wider society. It's interesting that, that Paul at the end of this letter mentions one of them by name Onesimus. 
our faithful and dear brother, he says, who is one of you. You remember who Onesimus is? He was the slave who, for whatever reason, ran away from his master Philemon. Philemon lived in Colossae. And he ran away and sought refuge with Paul. My son Onesimus, Paul calls him. Read the letter of Paul to Philemon in the in the New Testament and see how Paul sends Onesimus back and urges Philemon in Colossae to welcome him back into his household in the same way that he would welcome Paul. If he's done you any wrong, Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Oh, and by the way, he says, you might want to prepare a guest room for me because in answer to your prayers, I hope to be coming to stay with you. Can you see the changes that the gospel of Jesus Christ is making in the big house? Suddenly those who have traditionally held no rights in the society, those who were in themselves non-persons, women, children, slaves, are coming to be seen as people in their own right because their duties are being balanced by the corresponding responsibilities of husbands and dads and employers. The gospel is levelling things up. And if you're still not convinced, then look at the attitudes and the actions of Paul himself, whose fellow workers included women and married couples. Women who, it appears, were people in their own right, not shadowy figures, screened from view by a bossy husband. Not women who were downtrodden, unable to think their own thoughts, victims of their husband's every whim. Nothing could be further from the truth. What's important is that there's a mutuality in these relationships and a quality before God. And it's that mutuality that makes relationships work, whether in the home or indeed in church. To all the relationships and duties described here, there is a reciprocity between wife and husband, between children and parents, between slaves and masters. All carry responsibility for one another. Rights are important, but look <clears throat> look how the whole emphasis here is upon shared responsibility rather than upon individual rights. That's a message that the world needs to hear this week, isn't it? Especially with COP26. We have responsibilities towards one another. Now, Paul is it's not giving us here a set of rules to lead us to a better marriage or to raise better children or to be a better worker. He doesn't give us a lot of detailed advice, but he, he does get us to think about our current roles. God wants us to demonstrate to the world that there's a better way out of the mess that we tend to make as human beings. And that better way is in relation to Christ who restores life, lives and who reorders relationships. We're being urged here to see how Christ redefines our roles, whether we're husbands, wives, children, parents, employers, employees, or some combination of those things. And for those not married or no longer married, or who have no children, or whose children have left home, or who don't have a paid job, nobody is excluded here because we all live and we work in relationship to others. 
we all have a role to play. And following Jesus Christ embraces the whole of our lives, wherever we find ourselves on a daily basis, living out our faith in the midst of specific relationships and specific duties, our Christianity being rooted in these places with particular people and particular tasks in everyday life. Whatever you do, says Paul, whoever your earthly boss is, do it with all your hearts as if you're working for the Lord. What might it look like for you to live for Christ in relationship to others? What are the kinds of areas where we take responsibility for one another, carrying each other, in the words of a U2 song? Paul, in his letter, doesn't fill in too many of the gaps. So I'm not going to do that either. Instead, let's leave it up to ourselves to ask God to help us to fill in those gaps. Amen. Let us now come before God in prayer. We bring to God our prayers for one another and our prayers for our world. Let's pray. God of all nations, your love is without limit and without end. Enlarge our vision of your redeeming purpose for all people, for all of creation. Help us to follow the example of your Son, Jesus, and make us ready to serve others. Give us, give us eyes and heart <clears throat> to see where you would have us serve you. Give us the desire and courage to ask what you would have us do and the love and the grace to do it. God of creation, God who declared over the world, it is good, it is good, it is good. We thank you for the gift of this earth, for its wonder and its beauty, for the way it sustains us, for all the diverse life upon it, we thank you and we praise you. At this time of great need and urgency, we pray for your kingdom to come. As COP26 begins this week, we pray for world leaders to wake up and to see the need for immediate action. We pray that industries that are polluting the world will start to put people before profits. And we pray that we will all recognise the need to care for this amazing earth. Most of all, Lord, we pray for all of those who are suffering now because of the climate crisis. Lord, bring comfort, bring protection, bring relief, we pray. We pray too today for our country's economy at a time when, when people are really feeling the pinch of rising prices and tighter household budgets. Lord, you are the source of wisdom and power you've given us the resources of the earth and the skills to use them responsibly. Help us to be wise and just in how we do that. Guide our government, Lord, in Westminster and in Stormont. Give guidance to, to business leaders as well. All of them to navigate their way through global pandemic and climate emergency, Brexit, supply chain problems. Lord, help them to find the best way to do that, a way of justice a way of love for our neighbour. 
Lord, for, for all of those in sadness and trials, those battling with illness today and the frustrations of physical limitations, for those who feel acutely the pain of loneliness, Lord, come near to them. Help them, heal them and deliver them, we pray. Give us eyes also to see how we can be your hands and feet, how we can speak your words and bring your presence and your peace. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now go in the peace of God. Go in the love of Christ. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit and fulfil your commission to be light in all the dark corners of this world. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.